0: Hello there, welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. I'm Big Will, aka Uncle Buck.
1: Justin, still. (laughs) Still Justin. And uh, today we're the guests. We were invited out to Kevin Huffnagel's apartment here in New York City at an undisclosed location. Uh, Thanks for having us, Kevin.
2: Yeah, thanks for being here, guys.
1: Thanks, man. Kevin um, Huffnagel, well well known guitarist in the the underground music scene and beyond. Um, Thanks a lot for having us out here to your apartment. Um, if you're ready to get going, uh, you know, as we always say, to be respectful of your time, we'll just start from the beginning. Okay. Um, where Where are you from originally?
2: Uh, Baltimore, Maryland.
1: Baltimore, Maryland. And wasn't it uh, your mother
2: played guitar
1: or at least had a yeah. guitar around the
2: house? She played guitar just, uh, just you know, folk folk music, you know, simple, simple hum and strum kind of songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was always... Uh, always just lying there around the house, you know? So, uh, even from a pretty young age, I, I would pick it up to sort of bang on it. You know, Yeah, yeah. I don't think me or my mom thought it was going to be anything serious, you know, as far as my interest in that instrument, it was just <laughs> kids just bang on things, you know? Little did you yeah, know. That's,
3: mm-hmm. that's yeah. Not
2: cool. But, um, you yeah, know, then pretty soon I got into just music in general, pretty intensely, you know, from a pretty young age, just watching MTV and listening to radio. And
3: mm-hmm.
2: again, my mom played music around the house all the time. Um, so, uh, yeah, eventually I said I wanted a guitar when I was 10, and she got me one, and it's this it soft history.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what kind of guitar that was, your first Yeah, guitar?
2: it was a uh, brand called Series 10, which uh, I don't think anyone famous ever played um, was it like a budget brand guitar um, yeah. there's this that band Hella. they were kind of this math rocky kind yeah. of band yeah wow their guitar player was the only person i ever seen <laughs> play a series 10 it was but he had it was just the guitar neck of a series 10 attached to a Telecaster huh. body I later found that out because I, I, I saw them live once and I was like I didn't say anything about their music or their show, but it's just like I was like, I two. was like you, that's a, you play a Series 10? I mean, <laughs> I mean that was my first guitar. I've never seen anyone play a Series 10. Yeah, it's like, like toy guitar, like first act and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Or... I mean, it looked cool. I mean, it didn't, actually didn't even look super cheap or anything. It looked like a, you know, a typical 80s metal guitar of the day.
1: Gotcha. D- but, did uh, he explain? Like, was there any particular reason he did that?
2: No, I don't remember. This is like, you know, 20 years ago or <laughs> something. But, wow. Um, I guess he just liked to feel of the neck or something. I don't know. All right. Uh,
1: did, did you start taking lessons to correspond with getting that first guitar?
2: Right away, yeah. And um, again, I didn't ask for lessons. It was kind of just like, we signed you up, you know, and, and I went and uh, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. You know, Um. and uh, yeah, the first year was, you know, just boring, kind of learning how to read music and playing nursery rhymes and stuff, you know, and mm-hmm. even though I really wanted to shred right away, like most kids do, yeah. um, especially this is back in the 80s so fast guitars, all the rage. And um, I still was pretty disciplined about it. I was like, yeah, let me let me learn the fa- you know, let me learn the basics, you know. Um but basically this- after about a year I was kind of like Ready for rock riffs and stuff.
0: Right, playing around. Yeah, I mean, a yeah. lot of a lot of people skip that step, myself yeah. included. So you a have a to lot go lot back. A yeah. lot yeah. And I don't think there's
2: anything wrong wrong with skipping that step, but it's just not how it happened for me. But,
4: I yeah. wish every day that I did not skip yeah. that step. Yeah. I was just like, got my first guitar when I was like 12. I, like, huh. oh, I don't need lessons.
2: Yeah, <laughs> most people are like that. Kirk O'Bann <laughs> yeah. did uh, I don't even know if I would have wanted lessons necessarily if like I was given a choice Yeah, but just kind of handed to me and I was like oh well, I'll just go along with this and I liked my teacher and so it was a good vibe Right. I actually am pretty I mean that's probably a important thing is like having a good teacher because oh, sure. I think if I hated my teacher of course I would have wanted to quit and probably would have never yeah. started again yeah. um, taking lessons I probably probably would have continued playing guitar but maybe yeah I would have taken a different
0: Different route, yeah. Like, yeah, picking up the uh, the guitar player magazines and stuff, and finding the tabs in the back.
2: Uh, Oh, I did all that. that. I was I've subscribed to every guitar magazine. I bought all the VHS instructional videos. Yeah, I just took everything in. Uh,
0: What was your favorite instructional video? Because I know a lot of those were really ridiculous. Made. Yeah, (laughs) uh,
2: my favorite one was the first uh, Marty Friedman one called Exotic Metal Guitar. Mm. Um, It was before he was in Megadeth. He was like still pretty unknown, or like you know just kind of a Shrapnel Records. Mm-hmm. solaris or he just had cacophony that band um it was great though because like he, he um his his approach is so unorthodox and i didn't know much about music theory or anything at that point yet so uh and he seemed to not know any real music theory either in that video so he was just kind of explaining things that kind of just kind of talk- <laughs> it was like really it was like really interesting stuff he was talking about but kind of in this way that was sort of like he didn't he simplified it in a way that I could understand as like an eighth grader or something, and um, That's a so I got, I got a tell. lot. Yeah, yeah. and I got a lot from that video. Um, and then yeah, where's some other ones? I, um, I have like the Eric Johnson one, the Vinnie Moore one, um, Frank Gambale. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always want to get a few of those.
4: Yeah. What was it, it? I don't know if it was part of an instructional video, but that Michelangelo Bascio, oh yeah, uh, like speed kills or whatever. That it was, was like, I, the that most was just, hilarious thing I've ever yeah, seen.
2: that was this I didn't have that one, but. Uh,
4: this just like you know every okay. other riff. The guitar changes like in the shot. He's yeah. just playing something completely different. Yeah, <laughs> just get that, get that. head. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. Yeah, more like a music video than like any like a, like a lesson. Yeah, it's great. Of Nitro Fame, yes.
3: That's um,
1: awesome. <laughs> so I mean, obviously you're into uh, shredders, as you, as you said, and and like metal. But like, when do you kind of first notice? Uh, like I guess counterculture music, like like uh, extreme music or or yeah. punk rock, whatever it is, stuff that's not on the radio or MTV, so to speak.
2: Uh, well, yeah, uh, I tune into this college radio station in, in uh, South Orange, Jersey, which is still around, WSOU. Oh uh, yeah. Although, I don't know what it's like these days, but but back when I was a kid, it was it was great, and uh, they
0: for radio standards they're actually pretty good right yeah. now they you know it, it's not uh, the deepest cuts uh-huh. but you don't get anything else like that on radio. on the radio yeah.
2: yeah yeah i imagine yeah so even back then it was they were playing like yeah pretty underground metal they had this um, this show called monday night mayhem uh, which is, just like all thrash but um you know stuff like nuclear salt and corner just stuff you wouldn't mm-hmm. you know you come across in, in, you know, your underground metal mags, but right. not necessarily on MTV unless you stayed up till three in the morning. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, even, yeah, yeah, corner even, yeah, yeah, awesome, man. So, uh, was there like a local scene around around you that you like? Were you going to shows, underground shows, mm-hmm. or anything
2: like that? In high school, yeah. Um, in high school, I grew up in Northern Virginia, kind of close to D.C., and there mm-hmm. was a couple venues there. There was one in Georgetown called The Bayou that used to always have metal shows. Uh, there was the, the 930 Club. That was back when it was uh, the old 930s. It was kind of smaller than it is now. Those were kind of the two like main places I would go in D.C. to see shows.
1: What, what were some of the bands that you'd see a lot back then? Um,
2: saw so, uh, Voivod, Fate's Warning, um, Solitude Eternus, Merciful Fate, and Anacrusis, cathedral. Wow. So
1: this is like, I guess uh, early nineties. Yeah. About? All early nineties. Awesome.
2: All man. between like 91
1: to 94. Kind of wow. Thing. Some real good. And I, I assume probably some of the, um, the big death metal bands from the early nineties, boom, maybe. Um, or was that a little, uh, a, a little ahead of the time? Man, for
2: some reason, I mean, I saw cynic back then and cannibal corpse and mm-hmm. you know, when they toured together, sinister. was on
1: the. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of that. I've heard of that fun. tour. I've heard I've heard, of, I've heard <laughs> that. I've heard people t- talking about that same lineup when it was at the Roxy. Uh, yeah. Really.
4: Yeah but um and what a good mix though those two bands <laughs>
1: I mean <laughs> it shows you though at the time though man I would love to see cannibal corpse and cynic today yeah. you know I mean that would be awesome you know you wouldn't get bored you know I love lineups when it's kind of diverse and different you know mm-hmm. um so one thing I want to ask you too man uh you know just from from previous interviews from doing the research you mentioned that you used to go fishing yeah all right and you know that that's a big thing on this podcast uh-huh. if you've heard it a few times man so you got, I didn't even tell these guys, man. They're not. I don't know.
2: Many, I don't have many other friends that like fishing, so this is insane.
1: Yeah. Well, we we just we recently interviewed uh, John um, Pelini from uh, Mortal Decay, uh-huh. He he's a big uh,
4: uh, freshwater fisherman, like a tournament uh-huh. bass fisherman. Yeah, tournament uh-huh. bass fisherman. Yeah. We got to come up with a like a line of, of fish questions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, we, no, we, no we, pun but, intended. So yeah. it's like you know uh, when uh, you know uh, so when did you start getting into heavy music? Well, it's really just like you know so when you first. Uh, catch a bass you know yeah, are, you from a,
1: are you from a particularly uh, fish <laughs> fish adjacent family or so so what but i mean just, just just briefly though uh you know like are you like when you were in um virginia was or like when did you start getting involved in like outdoorsy types
2: stuff uh I was pretty young like kind of right before i got into guitar and music heavily i was Pretty much all I did was go fishing before that. Wow. And and I continued fishing after getting into music. But uh, at that time, during my middle school years, I was living in North Jersey, this town called West Milford, near this lake called Lindy's Lake, which was like the absolute best bass fishing. Okay. It was unbelievable. I look back on some of these pictures from when I was a kid of these fish I caught, and I was like... I didn't realize even back then, like how kind of these are pretty big fish. To me, it was just normal, but that the lake was just so good, it was just stocked with like huge bass, and that's all I did. You know, You got the good stuff first. Yeah. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Hopefully. You know, heavy hole listeners are flocking right now to that lake. Check out Lindy's lake. 80- <laughs> I
2: haven't been there since '89, but I really want to go back. I really, I keep fantasizing about going back and going fishing there again.
1: Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, just just um, we were just talking before uh, with with uh, Nick before we started recording about to kind of like sometimes you got to take a break from music, and mm. my break is going. I do a lot of saltwater fishing on Long Island on the mm. beaches around me, and that's like I don't I don't even take like you know you know head. Uh, um, Earbuds or any, or head, head, headphones or yeah, anything. I just or the yeah, just enjoy Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Just enjoy, you know, being out there. Mm-hmm. So it was mainly freshwater fishing you were doing at the lake?
2: Pretty much. Yeah, at the lake, it was all just freshwater, a lot of bass and catfish. And-
1: ha- have you continued fishing in your adult life at all? Do you ever go?
2: I do, yeah. Um, I've been a couple times in the past year um, out in Kent, Connecticut on the Housatonic River. Wow, all right. Um, yeah, um, yeah, the Housatonic River is great. Um, lots of smallmouth bass and trout and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so what uh what kind of gear do you use for that?
2: Uh for the trout fishing I just use uh just like little spinners. seem to work pretty well. B- basic stuff, right? Basic stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: man. Yeah, yeah. cuz I mean, you, pro- you probably go more in depth on guitar gear than fishing gear at this point
4: in your life. I don't so, know what about case, uh, actually do you use? I, I've <laughs> never been a
2: gear guy um with anything, you know, <laughs> yeah. So uh I probably could talk more about fishing gear than guitar gear. Honestly, I know, <laughs> I know a bit about different guitars, but it's, when it comes to amps and pedals and things, I don't know. I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, what? yeah.
0: Just yeah. Use
2: whatever works, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. I know. I mean, I know what I like. Yeah. You know, I know that. That's kind the of most
0: important I thing. Like, Plus, people who like claim to know a lot about amps and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I tend to not believe them that much. Um, that they've experienced a lot of time with set amps because this stuff is expensive. Yeah, you know, yeah. like
2: it, it I don't wrong. even own an amp. right
0: <laughs> I, don't,
2: I don't I borrow Collins uh, <laughs> well he loves me yeah.
1: when, you have, <laughs> I mean, when you're in a band with a guy like Colin I mean you know he's got access to a lot of stuff right yeah. that, that must be fun you could probably just go over there and be like hmm like on his wall of amplifiers I there. mean I pretty much
2: always use the same one yeah um, but uh,
3: yeah.
2: what do you I, use I used uh, uh, one of the 5150s that he that he has there I mean just for practicing shows on the albums you know we uh we use a range of things that he's got over there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 5150 is just consistent. The yeah. One of the most capable. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's, I don't love the clean sound, but for for distortion, it's,
1: yeah. 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 Well, I, that was that was a good segue in gear back to metal because yeah. I I could go on the fishing thing all night, <laughs> but um I get excited whenever there's a metal person that's into fishing too, man. Uh, yeah. It's the best. But so now we're talking. um We left off. You know, you're kind of like in, in high school. Yeah. We left <laughs> off here fishing at the lake. Yeah. No, we left off here in high school. Um, going to local shows, like you said, there's a pretty healthy metal scene down there. Um, I know uh, you you went to uh, a music hall. You was it University of the Arts in yeah. Philly mm-hmm. for jazz guitar? Yeah, you oh, arts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you take away? Well, first of all, maybe mm-hmm. what? How did you? Um, how was the process to get in? Was there like a very uh, like?
2: I remember the audition pretty well. I only auditioned there in a couple of other schools. I like was mm-hmm. like Berkeley and then uh, Shenandoah University, which is a nice uh, conservatory out in the Shenandoah Valley. Um, if I had gone there, I would have mainly studied classical guitar. So it was kind of a, when I graduated high school, I was kind of like, do I want to study classical guitar? Or do I want to study jazz? I liked, I liked it all, but it seemed like, I, I don't know, for schools it was like I had to like, choose one or the other, it seemed. Um, and I felt like I already knew a little bit more about classical guitar, and I already had some lessons in that. So I was like, I don't, I'm not very good at jazz, so I should go study that. And um, I can't remember. I, I, it's funny. I can't remember if I, what schools, if I got accepted into all of them or maybe just URs. I, I can't remember, honestly. But um, I think I ended up picking URs because I, I wanted to check out Philadelphia, too. I was mm-hmm. like, well, that's probably the coolest city of all these places. <laughs> yeah.
1: and, and fairly adjacent to where you were, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, on the East far. Coast there, Yeah. yeah um what did when you when you moved to Philly and you went to college in Philly mm-hmm. uh what was the music scene like there because I assume you kept going to shows and pursuing underground music and yeah. offbeat music right like what what would you say with Philly so that's like the late 90s I guess
2: uh mid it was like 90, 94 is when I went off to school
1: so what was the music scene like in Philly in the late 90s
2: um yeah man let's see uh, there was places like the Khyber that it was like a, that's like a, just a small little kind of dive bar that used to have a lot of good uh, Usually more like indie kind of underground stuff, but a lot of good bands would come through there. Um, for metal stuff, it's more like the Trocadero Theater, which was closed, but that was kind of a legendary place. The Ultimate Revenge um, videos were shot there. The, 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 that was like a tour video with like Death and Forbidden. And wow. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it was, like, it was like a series of, uh, that was put out on VHS back in the day. Um, you should get those. Yeah. On yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin <laughs> yeah. Just flexed on us. Yeah. Time, right? no idea what that is. <laughs> um, yeah, those are the main places. I can't remember where venues. I don't know. I mean, I, I, there was a lot of like house shows in Philly. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which, uh, that was cool. Like, when this DisRhythmia first got started, we played a lot of house shows, and it was mm-hmm. fun. It was like a total <coughs> punk rock scene, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: And you guys are playing this, like, really kind of technical, intricate
2: music. Yeah, and, the, and the, 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 those kids liked it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I remember having the same sort of surprise response when we went down kind of on our first full U.S. tour when we played places like uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, or this place in the deep south where you like sludge and stuff was like the big thing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, we're going to be we're kind of this hyper kind of <laughs> intricate band or whatever. And I didn't think people would dig it, but it was kind of the opposite. Maybe maybe because they have so much of the other thing around them all the time. So it seemed kind of like interesting to them that something different was coming through. Some different yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it is impressive live, man. Especially if all you see is slow doom bands, and then you see you guys, it might just blow your mind, right? you know? man. Um, so, you guys, now, were, were you, I know there was a, a band you have on your YouTube page, uh, there's a video, Grey Division Blue, yeah. from 1995. Was that like an active band before Disrhythmia? Because it's yeah. said pre-Disrhythmia.
2: So yeah, like... so that was me and, and the original bass player in Disrhythmia before Colin, his name was Clayton Ingerson, mm-hmm. And I met him in high school, and we had, we, Started an instrumental project, just the two of us, and uh, it was mainly acoustic-oriented. It was, like, me primarily playing acoustic guitar and him playing viola. Um, So it was kind of this kind of dark, classical, um, but kind of dark folk kind of uh, instrumental project, really short-lived. We only just did one demo, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and uh, that was that, but played a few shows, too.
1: So, um, and then, then you kind of go into dysrhythmia, like once you graduate or... Am- right
2: after I graduated U.Arts, yeah.
1: What, so was there any other bands you were involved in, anything, like to speak of, or...?
2: Uh, I, I was in that, this band called While Heaven Wept, um, mm-hmm. just briefly in the mid-90s, because, um, I was friends with the main dude, Tom, and that band, we went to high school together, and, uh... Yeah, he needed, um, he wanted me to play some acoustic guitar on one of their records, and um, f- kind of for just like the interludes, kind of, mm-hmm. and stuff, and um, I did that, and then they ended up kind of um, scratching that record and redoing it, and um, I don't remember why, I-, I don't remember if I was frustrated and was like, ah, I don't I don't want to do that, like, with-, with them just kind of throwing out the tracks you recorded, or yeah. or if I just didn't have time, I honestly don't remember, but um, yeah, that was kind of the only other thing. I mean, when I was in college, I pretty much just focused on school, and I was doing a lot of solo guitar stuff Um, during my years in college. I put out, like, uh, my first solo cassette while I was, like, a junior in college. But um, no no band stuff, really.
1: Yeah, and and you've continued to put out um, a wealth of solo material Mm. over the years. Uh, Just for the listeners, you can check out Kevin's... um Bandcamp, and you have like probably well over a dozen releases yeah, there, right? Yeah,
2: probably twelve or thirteen.
1: Years yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a, a lot to go through. Just you know, for fans of maybe Gore Guts or Disrhythmia who didn't realize that that music was available as well. And before we get too far though, when we talk about college, we talked, uh, we had an interview with Dave Davidson of Revocation mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. attended Berkeley, and we've talked to other people. What like what are some experiences maybe going to a music and an arts college? that stick out to you in, in your memory, that kind of like expanded your, your view of, of things, or, or maybe that we wouldn't expect you to have been involved
2: with. Uh, Well, My favorite thing about my years at UArts was definitely not studying jazz guitar.
1: Because <laughs> actually, I really
2: hated my guitar teacher. He was horrible. <laughs> I, you want to shout him out? <laughs> no, I won't. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think he's probably alive anymore. Okay, um, He's a pretty old guy even back okay, then. Okay. He was just a cranky guy stuck in the 50s and, and just... Um, <laughs> I don't know. Was he a good we, player, though? Um, I guess he was good at what he did, which was just very traditional bebop jazz guitar. Right. And I, I bet you I would appreciate that a lot more now than I did back then. I mean, it was mm. a style I was interested in, but it was kind of like, it was just the only thing he appreciated musically, it seemed. And I just, I was mm. like, don't you? Like these other things too. I, I right. was trying to turn him on to other kinds of music or show him something I've written that maybe wasn't traditional jazz, and he just like had no interest in it. Yeah, true. And uh, I found that really yeah. discouraging um, to have a teacher that had no interest in what you're trying to do creatively. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I teach guitar, and I always want to know my students are writing, you know? Right. Yeah. But anyway, um, no, my favorite thing at UArts was um, all four years I was there I was uh, involved in this ensemble called because um, the class was called InterArts, and it was um, musicians working with dancers, and you were just kind of. Uh, um, write a, collab- a music and dance kind of collaborative piece that we performed at the end of the semester, and this year was like pretty avant-garde. You know, these, yeah, these dancers yeah. were like modern, modern dancers into really, you know, avant-garde music themselves and stuff. So it was, it was really fun to compose for that. That was definitely my favorite thing. about you, Alex.
1: Um, yeah, well, that, that's interesting you brought that up because I noticed on your YouTube channel. There's several videos of a collaboration you did. Uh, maybe I get the name right. Mm-hmm. Deborah Goffey?
3: Yeah, um, Goffey. Goth- yeah, yeah, uh,
1: yeah, I hope I hope I got it, but she's a, a choreographer <laughs> and dancer. Um, yeah. And that was at the Charter Oak Cultural Center in 2014 in Connecticut.
2: Yeah, that was something I got through again another old high school friend of mine. Um, works at uh, the Hart School, I believe, um, in Hartford, Connecticut. And um, he, yeah, he like got me a grant um, to go do that. Uh, performance with this dancer and we had never met before it was totally everything was improvised i mean the music was composed so i just kind of played some of my composed solo stuff um, and she just kind of improvised through it you
1: know, oh, okay all right because i was going to ask you then maybe going back to um college that like what's the process for collaborating with a choreographer then have you ever have you ever written music alongside a choreographer and somehow or?
2: you know it's funny because i i feel like uh when i think back now about my experiences in college um for some reason, I don't remember much direction from the cho- choreographer. I remember them mainly working with the dancers and us to sort of. It was very collaborative. Like I don't. It wasn't just like we wrote the music, then they danced to it. I think it was a. Uh... It'd always start with some kind of improvisation, you know. Um, mm. I remember like they would just kind of move, and we just kind of like. Watch them and follow along. Yeah, it's interesting because it you're taking cool. like, visual cues. Yeah, I like working music. from visuals. You know, yeah. whether, like whether it's like doing a soundtrack or. Like, yeah, watching a dancer and interpreting that. It's a lot easier to get, like, ideas flowing than, than just trying to improvise just with your instrument.
3: Mm-hmm. That,
2: that to me, is can be really hard, just sitting down with a guitar and be like, I'm going to play an improv show. There's lots of people that are great at that. I've always been kind of intimidated to just do that. I've done it a couple times, but um, but when I have to, like, improvise to something that I'm looking at, um, that makes a it a lot like easier. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, uh, class, you know, they say... Uh... Classical music—it's based entirely off of nature. Like uh, the sounds are just people emulating and adding uh, melodies so that—that's mm. you know, that, the beginning of classical. So it makes sense what you're saying. Like that's the roots of music, really, like um, combining the senses. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so when and and I mean, well, the other thing about that too is you're like you said you're taking uh, visual cues for like audio. Have you ever? Um, dabbled in scoring a film or have you ever actually scored a a film or something? I
2: I did one, yeah, a couple years ago. The soundtrack came out last year, but the movie came out a few years ago before that. It's called Imitation Girl. It was uh, a full length uh, independent film, kind of like sci-fi type film. And I got that job through one of my guitar students. He was an actor in the film. And uh, one day we were just having a lesson and I was just kind of asking him at the end of the lesson, like, oh, "What are you up to today?" And he's like, oh, I meet, you know, "I'm working on this film." Um, and then yeah, it just kind of popped in my head, like, I was like, "Oh, I uh, had some like solo CDs lying around." I was like, "Oh yeah, if you see the director, you know, feel free to pass off some of my CDs." Thinking nothing would happen, you know. And then literally like a week or two later, I got an email from the director named Natasha Kamini, and um, yeah, just saying like, "Oh, I heard your stuff and I really like it. Like we should meet up and talk about this." And I was like, "Wow." Okay. And um, yeah, it all worked out. It all like flowed like surprisingly fast. For an independent film, I, I feel like you know that's um, the whole thing flowed a lot faster and came out a lot quicker than I thought it would. Because you know, it's all it's really hard. Right. Watching you know, the movie, like a, a movie, the whole process of trying to get an independent film
3: yeah. made is. Mm-hmm. Insane. I
2: mean, the amount of money that goes into that. You know, yeah. it's so different than making like a record. Now you can make a record for so cheap. You know.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, you Can't really. You can't really. A lot of movies. Yeah. Here, um, so, I Have a lot of respect for that. So when you were when you were writing a score for this movie, did you have visual? Did you have I, like a rough cut or? Were you...
2: Not of the whole film. It would kind of just be a um, just just certain scenes. So just kind of a, a, a one minute clip or two or three minute clip, um, and not not any kind of like order. It was just kind of like
4: right, here's this scene,
2: you know, and and I, I'd be given some direction like this is what's happening in the story, sort of, but. Um, yeah, it wasn't like that. It was handed the completed film and then sort of ported my way beginning and end to it. Mm-hmm. It was uh, kind of in this piece-by-piece piece kind of way. Right. Yeah. And what was the name of that film? It's called Imitation Girl. Imitation Girl. Yeah, okay. it's, you can find it in the streaming services. Now. Okay, interesting.
1: All right, I, did, I didn't I did realize that. Um, slipped on slipped through my research. Uh, so, like, now moving forward, you, um, you said dysrhythmia uh, is going uh, shortly after college. You, you tour a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Dysrhythmia has like a daunting amount of music available. Uh, and again, just for the listeners, you can check out <clears> This Rhythmia on Bandcamp and there's a bunch of albums there, um, including uh, last year, 2019's Terminal Threshold. Yep. Okay. Uh, what, I, what I wanted to go back to is um, your third full length. Mm-hmm. Um, pre-test, right? Yeah. That mm-hmm. was that that's was third one, yeah. yeah. That was not only the first one that was on Relapse mm-hmm. Records, but the first one produced by Steve Albini. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the, well, that's why I kind of want to touch on there is, um, do those two facts have anything to do with to do with each other? Did Relapse set you up with Steve or the other way around? We, or something? we
2: chose Steve, um, and then through being on Relapse, we were lucky enough to have budget to work with Steve. <laughs> Although okay. Steve, you know, he, he's yeah. the kind of you know recording engineer that will work with if you're Nirvana, he's going to charge certain price if you your me is going to charge a different price you know so he, he kind of you know good. Yeah. yeah he's, a, fair he's a yeah exactly that's <laughs> um, him that's great so, but still it was like it wasn't that cheap you know it wasn't like money we could just pull out of our pockets so oh, yeah. thankfully Relapse yeah. took a chance on us you know with pretest and gave us what we asked for and we're, we're totally cool with us working with Steve I mean they were all fans of his work so they yeah. were, they're stoked he's got a yeah, you know, reputation yeah, yeah, yeah
4: sure. pulls off some good work
2: yeah
1: what,
4: what a cool what opportunity, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What, um,
1: So how, how did you, uh, I mean, I assume you're probably fans of, of uh, albums Steve's produced or something, yeah. like, how, how does the relationship begin with him?
2: Well, really, it was, uh, I have to say, it was probably mostly, at first, our old bass player Clayton's idea to work with Steve, because he was a huge shellac fan and all that. And, okay. and, and uh, Jesus lived and all the stuff he produced or recorded. Um, so it's kind of his idea, but of course I was. Me and Jeff were down too. I mean, especially Jeff, you know, because like he's known for his drum sounds and stuff, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's like the best drum sound. So of course our drummer yeah. was, was stoked on that. <laughs> so yeah, it was just as easy as calling him up and setting a date. Really? Yep. Wow.
1: And uh, and and signing. Hit anybody up? It's great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. That's yeah. how we get some interviews. Yep. Sometimes we just hit you up. <laughs> yeah, it's <but laughs>
2: Yeah. So yeah. Uh, gonna well, reach okay. out. Yeah,
1: yeah. pays to network sometimes. So so. Uh, signing <laughs> signing to Relapse though, because um, that was what that was probably the early 2000s, So 2003, or three, uh, you signed to Relapse.
2: Yeah, two thousand two is when we signed, and two
1: thousand three is when the record went out. Was or like, would you would you have realized at that point? Like, was there a big turnover in the way uh, record labels were carrying themselves and doing business because of the you know the advent of, of digital? Yeah, that music. was a
2: weird time because that was right before. I can't remember when Napster was really huge. It was like I think well, it was right maybe was it right before or no well, Napster think, was 90s. I think Napster I think was like around ninety eight. I think okay. But yeah,
1: social yeah. media like MySpace might have been a thing, but right, it just, MySpace it just was... wasn't. It was like a weird in between time. Yeah. You know? So people like, were still kind of sixty deal or
4: something like that. Yeah.
2: Like no, that. I mean it was. I remember people were still kind of buying records back then because I remember remember like you know, uh, Relapse occasionally giving us like, uh, Sound can sound SoundScan numbers. And being surprised, like wow, that many people bought this record. I mean, the numbers were low, but to me, I was like, you
0: know, yeah,
2: that looks <laughs> good. And probably nowadays, that would look pretty oh, good. yeah. Well, now I mean, <laughs> now, yeah. anything would look good nowadays. Yeah. I you know.
0: I mean, now just talking about that uh, mm-hmm. side note with that whole pirating music and stuff. That mm-hmm. didn't really affect the music industry as much as. The music industry did with streaming. That's what really killed music sales. Oh yeah, so bad. The the pirating was like nothing. You know, that was a drop in the water. As soon as Pandora taught people that they could listen to music for free, all done. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, It's it's a weird. It's a weird time now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So yeah. But you've you've experienced that. You've seen the beginning. You know, the the transitional period.
2: Yeah. Kind of wish I was. You know, uh, I wish I could have experienced. a little more than even longer. back to the 70s <laughs> I mean I don't know like, like when you got the really big budgets you know? yeah yeah that would have uh, been great yeah look <clears> at <throat> that rat budget yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's what we all want
1: yeah, yeah especially just splitting it uh, between three guys I mean that's mm-hmm. great um and uh so was was that your last album with uh Clayton uh Ingersen on bass
2: yeah that one was
1: yeah and we interviewed Colin as you know and Colin actually related to us kind of tagging along with you guys in the studio yeah
2: he was there for that um uh, yeah, because he was yeah studying at NYU for recording engineering and uh, was also a big Steve Albini fan. And, uh,
1: were you located in New York City back then? Or? No, I was in Philly. Okay. Yeah. So how did you know? Were you like acquainted with Colin, I guess, through the scene kind of? Or? Yeah,
2: we met pretty early on in, in the early disrhythmia days. I think it was maybe our second or third show ever. Um, we played with one of his old bands when he was playing, he was playing drums in that band. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, they played first or something, and I watched them. I was like, "Oh, they're cool." And then, um, then we played, and he liked us, and we just talked afterwards, and just kind of became immediate friends. And then he would come out and see us like every time we played. And, and if he was playing, yeah, we decided he was going to see him. He goes to me. We became good friends. Yeah.
1: Do you remember him bringing that big war guitar into the studio yeah, totally. <laughs> while he was recording? <laughs>
2: uh-huh. He probably told you the skateboard story. Yeah
1: yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He did. He did. And the listeners can go back and listen to our interview with Colin they want Planet. Yeah. Um, uh, so. After that album, uh, the, I guess Clayton leaves the band, parts ways with the band. Yeah. Um, is there? Uh, is, was there any reasoning or any story you, you would want to divulge about that? Or
2: um, it was a weird, weird time in the band because we thought we were... when he, when he it was kind of one of these things where like um, he quit, but I was going to kick him out. Kind of like it was kind of like who's going to pull the trigger first? Because right. obviously things weren't working.
0: So you were relieved, is what you're saying?
2: <laughs> yeah, and it was. Um, it was hard, man. Like any breakup is, you know. It doesn't matter if it's with, of course, you yeah. know, band member or whatever. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a end of a relationship. So it, it was tough, and I haven't seen him since then. And this is 2004. Um, but he was on a di- totally different life path. So he was um, getting really into Buddhism and stuff, and he actually wanted to uh, completely quit music. I mean, he did completely quit music. He gave away his bass and all his records and. Um, yeah, it was uh, wow, okay. Yeah. It was kind of it was a change that was kind of happening over I would say it's, it's, uh, it, the the year or two leading up to his departure. So yeah, on, on yeah. which was crazy cuz that was back when we were doing like probably our heaviest touring like 2003. Especially 2003 probably our busiest year. And um it could have been the touring, you know, we were doing so much and it was hard, man. We we do a lot longer tours back then. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it was just after a while I just it wasn't it wasn't fun for him anymore. And that was okay, you know. I Actually, when when we last saw each other, uh, it was uh, there wasn't any bad vibe. You know, it was kind of like good luck kind of thing. Well, that's and good. You know, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but definitely like a sort of like probably won't see you again for. You know, so it's awkward. It's, it yeah. can be an awkward situation, yeah. but
1: it's it's also part of the natural process of you know the natural life cycle of many bands. Mm-hmm. Is that not every member is going to be there for the whole process of yeah. the band? Yeah. Um, so, so after that, um, was it just kind of like, like, well, we got Colin? Like it was a natural fit type of thing? Or?
2: Yeah, I mean, I had Colin in mind. He was the only other person I could think of that could step in mm-hmm. those shoes. and Because um, for a really brief period of time, I kind of thought the band was done. Um, like Jeff was kind of, me and Jeff were kind of like, ah, it's, I guess this is it. You know, once we do, Clayton was like definitely not interested in the band anymore. Yeah. yeah. But then I was like, ah, but what about Colin? Let's try him. And Colin didn't even have a bass. Uh, <laughs> he didn't really play bass necessarily, um, but I knew he was such a good musician, and kind of just could learn anything really yeah. fast, so I, I helped him buy his six-string bass that he still plays in this roomia. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of explains a lot, too, because, uh, like, yeah. you know,
0: uh, guitar player to bass player, he plays like, you
2: know... Yeah, and, and Clayton, our, our original bass player, he also played with a pick and played six-string, and, and yeah. um, you know, so...
0: It's like choice of notes and stuff, sounds like a guitar player, on.
2: Yeah, like, yeah, but
0: and, understanding and that industry. was
2: part of our sound, so, so it was, it, I, yeah, I couldn't think of anyone else that could fit more perfectly in Colin, and thank God, yeah. you know, he was, he was mm-hmm. like, of course, yeah, you know and, um, I remember actually, the, you know, the first time we jammed with Colin, he still hadn't had a bass yet, we actually jammed with him when he just only had a a war guitar, so he was playing, like, the war guitar with a pick and just on the bass strings, you know, kind of trying to play that mm-hmm. like a bass. Hey,
0: that that's uh, that's commitment, right? Yeah, there. and, and, and it was kind of, we were kind of working on and when we job.
2: knew it was really gonna work was, like, at that at that jam, we were working on, like, a new, it was, like, some new riffs I had that ended up becoming a song on the next record. So he was, you know, we got to see how, you know, he was, like, writing a part for the song, you know, and then I love the part that he wrote and I was like, obviously, of course, he can play this stuff, but he can also write stuff that perfectly fits with my writing and so right. it just it's great it all worked right worked out. yeah
1: well that was gonna be my question because then in 2006 the next album is barriers and passages right mm-hmm. also on relapse records yeah um what what would you say was like the change was did colin contribute a lot to that record
2: that was a weird transitional record because uh half of it is stuff we had written with clayton and then um The other half of stuff we had written with Colin. And then, but Colin was kind of interpreting some of the... All we had um, to work with uh, for the stuff we wrote with Clayton were these sort of, like, pretty crappy-sounding basement recordings that were just recorded on, like, a a radio. So they were just really distorted, kind of hard to pick out the notes and stuff. But uh, Colin did a really good job just kind of picking out what he could, um, of what he could hear of the bass, and then probably, you know, changing some things. Um, But yeah, half that album is stuff we wrote. While Clayton was still in the band, and then sort of reinterpreted when Colin joined. And then the other half was like brand new stuff that we to Colin.
1: Okay, and you said like, I, I know uh, touring kind of slowed down once Colin was in the band in that era, right?
2: Sort of. It, it slowed down, I would say after, well, especially since 2012. Um, okay. But in general, we definitely toured more when Clayton was in the band. Um, but we've really slowed down. Past like seven, <laughs> seven years or so.
1: Well, I mean, I guess I guess you could say it's probably not like natural because of uh, life, you know, um,
2: yeah.
1: r- real life, quote unquote, and other projects and other things like that, right?
2: Yeah, it's a it's many different things, and uh, it's just I think it's just natural if that happens unless you're Metallica, unless you're a band that's that's really making a
0: yeah. If it's your primary income, yeah. And, if you're really course. making a
2: living off it, then right. then. Yeah, you'll just keep touring. You know? but, uh, yeah, if you're not, yeah. it gets really hard after
1: a while. Huh. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, well, that that's that's interesting though because then uh, 2009, the next album is 2009, Psychic Maps, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Again, Relapse Records, but that's the first one where you where you go with Colin. Yeah. Uh, at thousand k Ca- uh, Menegroth, the thousand cave studio.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, and Colin has produced that album and every album since by Disarm mm-hmm. with right? Uh-huh. Well, so I'm just getting at the point, like, what, I mean, that's a big shift than having, like, an in-house producer from within the band doing doing everything,
2: right? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was so, I, was, I loved, I've loved everyone we've worked with, um, you know, recording engineer-wise. Uh, but, yeah, it was so great to have someone in your band who knows what they're doing um, recording your record, uh, you know, because we didn't feel as much pressure to, uh, you know, it wasn't, I mean, the clock was ticking, but it wasn't, like, time is money so much, you know? Yeah, and, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it felt we felt more free to experiment with uh, not just rushing, like, as far as getting sounds and really taking our time. I think, at that, I think at that point, I had finally started to understand how to make my guitar sound the way I wanted it to, because I, I hate the way my guitar sounds on, like, most of the early disreviewed stuff, like, the first, all the way up, probably up until Psychic Maps. Mm, um, okay. I just don't like the, the guitar tones. I don't know. I just kind of didn't know what I was doing. Um, and, and the recording engineers that we recorded with for those albums... Um, weren't about to boss me around as far as how my guitar sounded, <laughs> which you know right. to their credit. But um, yeah, I, I almost wish somebody did <laughs> tell me, like, yeah, you should work on that tone,
0: but, be more producer. Yeah. You know? so, uh,
1: it's yeah. a it's a delicate balance. It's a yeah. fine line to walk. You don't want to be uh, over, overpowering or
4: boss either as a producer. I'm sure. You know.
0: Also, they sound good, so it's fine. Maybe it's, it's okay, not what you were envisioning, but yeah. like you know, I'd rather be. A, I think they sound like I'd to get great better albums.
2: as time goes on than than peak right at the beginning. and... To
0: keep right. Uh, worse. Figure it
2: out. Yeah. So
4: much of a guitar player's tone is like what you can afford at that one point in time, and yeah. like what you're using. Yeah. So like, if you get into it, like if a producer can just like can tell me the secret, man. You know what I mean? Like uh, if you could help, like open it up. I mean, what was it like what was something that like opened that up
2: to you? Uh Well, really, it was it was, Colin probably feeling comfortable enough, especially when he was recording our first record for us. <clears throat> you know, just saying like mind if I turn these knobs you know I would go for it man you know and uh, yeah because I think he knew what I wanted it to sound like um, and he made it sound what I wanted it to sound like you know I just couldn't articulate it or do it myself maybe at that time or something right um, with the EQs or whatever
0: yeah I mean that's that's a hard thing to convey really like Mm. yeah you're spending a lot of your time uh, playing an instrument which is all sound but describing what the sound should be yeah it's like harder to do. i yeah. think it's, yeah. it's never been and, yeah.
2: yeah i've always focused so much on playing and not so much on gear and sound you know and uh i mean both are important but uh now i'm yeah now i'm figuring out the right the sound thing <laughs> that makes sense
1: um so what when do you actually relocate to new york city
2: that was in 2005 um so 2004 uh that's when Colin joined in uh, like August, I think, 2004. Yeah. Uh, so for a whole year, from summer 2004 to th- summer 2005, we were rehearsing at Collins, and I was coming up from Philly, and Jeff actually had moved to Boston for that year. Whoa. Because he got a job opportunity, and yeah. it was kind of right at this time yeah. where we didn't know if the band was going to still go, so yeah. he took the job up in Boston. But uh, we were super committed, you know, to practicing every single weekend, so we would both take uh, the, the Chinatown buses him from Boston, me from Philly, and just meet in New York and uh, rehearse like every weekend at Collins. Every weekend? Yeah.
1: Up yeah. until you said every weekend, I was like, okay, okay, I can no, do it. No, like, yeah. it was pretty
2: much weekly. Wow. Yeah. Y,
1: every week. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I know. That, that is commitment. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I enjoyed it. I mean, I look forward to it every weekend. Yeah, a good yeah
1: as you do, as you do. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, it's not as easy yeah. as everybody lives in the same town, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. The this funny
2: is, thing this is, is this that we rehearsed more when we lived in three different states because for a period of time, we the three of us actually all lived in the same Building like where the where Colin Studio is. Um, there was a brief period of time where like me, Jeff, and Colin all lived in that same wow. building, and it was so hard to for some reason I, that, that year it was like so hard to find times to practice. And <laughs> we're like, Wait, yeah, how yeah. Did, yeah. When we lived in three different states, we were practicing like every weekend. Like what, It happens, So
1: <laughs> I've found that my bands in general get a lot more done. Uh, cause you know when you're in bands, you always have that that back and forth conversation. Should we rent a monthly space that we have access yeah. to, twenty four hours a day? Should we just keep rehearsing in this dude's basement? Should we just rehearse uh, every Sunday for two hours at a hourly rate room? And I've found that when you have that space that's available all the time, some guy's garage or a twenty four hour room, you do like you will rehearse less. It's almost cause kind of like like. <clears throat> Uh, you you could get a little more complacent that it's always available. Yeah. But when you have that, like, look, between two and five on Sunday afternoon, we got to be there, and once we're there, we got two hours to rehearse the set. Yeah. It's it's like you got to drill it, and you know you have to get it done. You know, there's a little more pressure to get things done.
2: Yeah, and you're kind of giving up your weekends, you know, at, at home where you could be maybe doing something else. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you got to make the most of your
1: time. But anyway, that yeah, was a, yeah.
2: yeah. That was a very productive year. <laughs> wow,
1: is that, so so you you eventually you do move to the New York City area. Then does yeah,
2: I mean, Jeff live around here? Uh, or Eventually, uh, yeah. Eventually, Jeff moves. I moved to like a little bit before him, but then pretty soon after he dro- he uh, moved to New York, and then uh, yeah, then we're all in the same place.
1: So would you say that Psychic Maps is a little more coherent for, for you from your recollection, yeah. the writing process, and that yeah. sort of thing?
2: I feel like that's the first one where that's the most. I feel like since then our records have been a little bit more coherent than some of
1: Okay, and, and another thing, and I've heard you talk about this in, in prior interviews, is that maybe over time with dysrhythmia, if I get this right, mm-hmm. that it's become a little bit more about um, playing with themes over the course of a song yeah. than just like manic riff to riff to riff type Yeah, of I
2: think that's something you just learn as you get, as you get older as, as players. I, mean, I, I remember reading interviews, you know, back in, as a kid, you know, with people that would say things like that, like... Um, that, you know, this kind of way of writing was, like, how you mature as a player or something. I don't think that's, like, I guess it's, like, an opinion, but but it's true for us, um, and for myself, I guess, with the way I write. Um, I became more interested in, like, I just wanted the songs to be more memorable, for lack of a better word, um, and, I, and I had a lot more fun kind of, like, bringing things back again, but kind of twisting them around so it wasn't like super obvious, that kind of whole approach, which I guess is more like a... Sort of like the way cl- classical composers write. And it's, like yeah, it's a theme like, and variation kind
0: of thing. It's like going yeah. riff, like, um, like your older way of writing seems to be, it's like writing riff to riff, Yeah. now mm-hmm. it's you know, thinking of the song in a song dyna- like and the dynamic.
2: Yeah, and just having less parts. And I think there was something, too, about joining Gorguts and learning songs like the song Obscura, sounded so crazy and technical to me when I first bought that record mm-hmm. um, but then when I had to learn the song I was like oh this song is only maybe five different sections or something just like, it's a handful of riffs right and I was like oh yeah you don't I mean that's not an instrumental song they're singing to kind of carry the song too but uh mm-hmm. but still it made me realize okay like, yeah, you don't need uh, like tons of parts you know mm-hmm. you can you can do a lot with just a few really strong parts and and make variations in those different right parts. Ro- yeah
0: um which leaves room for play you know mm-hmm. like you, you can just mess around with stuff and like when you're rehearsing like that and you have that mindset like let's do this a little longer becomes like more of a natural feel you sit in a pocket and I think
2: the thing that still keeps this hopefully sounding still somewhat diverse I guess like as far as the material on the records is um, you know both Colin and I contribute at this point pretty much equal amounts of material and I think we we gel really well um, when we write parts to each other's songs but I also think we write very differently like Colin writes definitely more um I would say his songs are like more unpredictable as far as like structures. Like his are probably more intricate maybe than mine. Because, uh, I think I still write maybe a little bit more riffy than than he does or something. Um, but I like having that those two different kind of ways of writing, you know, mm-hmm. together.
1: Is is it fair to say that Dysrhythmia has adapted a little bit more of a metal sound over the last several over the last like three albums, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I mean
2: especially with the new one, it's pretty
1: metal. Yeah, well yeah, because um I mean you mentioned joining Gore Guts. Let's go mm-hmm. there, because you joined Gore Guts in 09, right? Yeah. Is that uh, yeah. is that after Psychic Maps comes uh,
2: out? Actually it was um we technically we joined in 08, but okay. um, yeah, that was when Blue first asked us. And so that was we joined right before yeah, before Psychic Maps came out
1: okay so at that point are you like um are you jamming with Luke LeMay and trying to work on material during the writing of psychic Maps? I
2: can't remember that's a good
1: question to that point
2: well um, I'm just trying to, I'm yeah. just trying to
1: infer like what kind of influence or or Luke might have yeah played I mean they were rhythm here. yeah I
2: mean they were already an influence like before we got asked yeah joy. So sure. it's, it's, <laughs> it's not
1: really a clear-cut line I get it yeah yeah
2: yeah, yeah I mean there's a riff on, like uh, on track three of barriers and passages that sort of Towards the end of the song uh, that we always called the Gorgas riff, and this mm-hmm. was back to 2004, like right before we ever knew we were going to be in the band, so they were already right. kind of, I mean, for sure an influence. Well, there's
1: obviously yeah. a reason he contacted you, and uh, from our interview with Colin, we know that I guess you guys were on tour with Dysrhythmia, and uh, you got the phone call while you were on tour. You know, like,
2: like yeah, it was a it was a, technically it was a MySpace message. I remember. That. <laughs> yeah, to, to my uh, to towards my, the tail
1: end of MySpace, yeah, then, right? yeah, so it was. On I'm lucky
2: I even <laughs> checked my. Yeah, my inbox. Yeah, it's crazy. That's how Have he contacted me. The
4: so what was yeah. that message like?
2: Um, yeah, it was kind of like, Luke here, you know. Um, yeah, I think he explained that he saw a YouTube video. It's funny because I think the song he mentioned that he said he watched on YouTube was the song that he was just talking about. That has they the had cor- the orgasm the the right, the right, right, right <laughs> yeah, perfect. there. Perfect. <laughs> and he says, you know, he told me like Steve Hurdle, you know, the guy, the other guitar player playing on Obscura. He was like, oh, he showed me. He showed me this YouTube video of you guys and like he's like, I want you and Colin in the band if he want, want to join. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and I remember like reading this and like, is this a joke? But I I felt pretty pretty confident it wasn't. And then I yeah, I went downstairs and told Colin and he was like, What are you talking about? <laughs> but so, uh, yeah, pretty brilliant. soon it all yeah, we start corresponding through regular email. It was like PS wow, please
4: right. put me in your top eight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah top eight. <laughs> yeah, right. So
1: uh the did, did Lupla made live in New York
2: at that point? No, no. He's always been up in, in uh, Canada.
1: So so did you travel up there? Uh... Uh,
2: at first he would come down to Collins mostly. Because um, okay. at, th- at that time we had John Longstreth, you know, who was living up in, like, near Syracuse or Albany.
1: Yeah.
2: I think near Albany. And um, Saratoga Springs, I guess. So anyway, Luke would, uh, he would come down and pick up, he would usually drive to John's because that was kind of like <coughs> a halfway point. Um, and then stay at John's and then the two of them would drive down to Collins the next day and then uh, yeah we literally like spend all weekend at Collins uh, writing and demoing stuff
1: okay um, and the co- now you joined in 08 mm-hmm. um, Colored Sands doesn't come out until
3: 2013
1: yeah so I, you know obviously Colored Sands is uh, this very involved album it takes time to write that material but in the meantime you also joined um, Sabbath Assembly mm-hmm and started the band Vora, right? Yeah, uh-huh. uh, so I mean, that's that's a pretty busy time period in itself. Like, not only yeah. are you collaborating with Gore Guts, uh, but but you joined two other bands. You want to talk a yeah. little bit about that period of well, time?
2: That, yeah, um, it's funny, you know, like when you when you when you when you join a band, sometimes it's not as uh, sometimes you don't realize you're really joining the band. Sometimes, <laughs> like with Sabbath Assembly, it was more like. Uh, I was like a guest I was kind of like a session musician and I just only played on one song and that was on for their second record and um, I enjoyed working with them but that that was kind of that you know I figured and um, then <laughs> what ended up happening was that that record came out and then I ended up getting this tour offer for Europe and playing like part of that was like playing a full week in Finland or something and Dave Nuss the main um, kind of the main dude in the band um, contacted me again and he was, he was like would you be interested in like playing guitar on this tour and um, so yeah, that might be fun. I had the, t- I, had the free- I had the time free, so I, I did it. And um, then we got back from that tour, and he's like, "So now we're writing this new record. Do you want to play on that?" You know, and he was always paying me like as a, like a session musician to do it, do this stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And, a and uh, that's
0: a good deal. Yeah. yeah, but I ended, you
2: know, um, <laughs> I really, I really, ended, you know, I really enjoyed working with them, uh, Dave and, and, and Jamie, the singer. And um, yeah, you know, I don't know how much you know about the whole. The concept behind that band, but um, for the first uh, basically, for the first three records, uh, the music was mainly based on these hymns by the, this cult from the 70s called the Process Church of the Final yeah, Judgment. Yeah, the, the
1: Process Church of the Final Judgment was kind of like, um, uh, well, I guess in pop culture, there's a lot, there's every once in a while, there's references to like kind of like, like, uh, like hippie cults, yeah. hippie Jesus cults, things like that. Like maybe like Kind of adjacent to, to, to uh, Charles Manson yeah. in a way, and I guess that's what a lot of this is based off of. Is this was actually kind of like a born again Christian foretelling the apocalypse type of cult. It was
2: the, kind of you know. this, yeah. I'm no expert on it, Davis, but it was yeah. more this they worshipped God and Satan. And honestly, I'm not okay. like I'm not a super, I'm not a super religious person at all, and, and um, I wasn't really involved at all at all in any of the conceptual stuff for the band. I was kind of like I'm just a guitar player, but I, I really enjoyed the music and but. After the third record, um, we kind of wanted to, they wanted to kind of change, leave the whole process stuff behind and start writing, like, our own material, and uh, I was like, all right, let's give that a shot, and that's when we did the self-titled record, brought in some other new members, and uh, then it felt like a real band, and for the first time, it was like, oh, this is, like, not just a studio project. was
1: that the first time that Sabbath Assembly records with Colin?
2: Right, yeah. So, Colin, okay. uh, oh no. Well, Colin recorded some parts of and actually played on one song on Quaternity, which was yeah. the third record, yeah. which still had some Process Church stuff on it, but also a couple of original songs. And then we went full on just all original material, and that's the self-titled that Colin recorded. And then ever since then, I've been kind of more of like a contributing writing member of the band.
1: Okay. Well, because I noticed in doing the research that there's a lot of people in and out of that band and mm. session players and things like that, but you're one of the few fairly consistent people between the last several albums yeah the last three or four albums anyway yeah uh, which is interesting but um yeah i again i you know i don't i don't have all the research on what the you know the process church was that that's something that's a wormhole the listeners can go down mm. uh and when you say that the first uh some of the early material was based on these hymns it's kind of like i guess reinterpreted a little bit yeah it's- so ba-
2: basically the, i guess they they had this uh hymnal you know he's like the song book uh but uh the songs there's they are they're sheet music for it, but none of the songs have ever ever been recorded. Or I guess there's like no—probably is somewhere, but nobody's ever really recorded these songs. So I guess that was—that was the initial concept of the band, and that was before I was in the band. So really, I shouldn't be talking about this so much because I—I wasn't there when it, when it started. um But that's just from what I—I've uh, gathered. Oh yeah, the, no, I just uh, thought it was yeah. very
1: interesting, and for our listeners, if you're into kind of um. You know, like, there's a lot of music nowadays that's kind of adjacent to, like, dark folk and, and things of that nature. You know, I, I don't I don't want to box it in, but it, it is really interesting music to listen to. And I actually noticed uh, Encyclopedia Metalum states that they only... Include Sabbath Assembly because of the self titled album. I guess that's the only album that's metal enough.
2: Um, I, I mean, know. after that, the the ones after that kind of continued with so, so, uh, yeah. more metallic sounds, but uh, yeah, but yeah. I guess uh, they might not be up to date on.
1: The- well, you know, the Encyclopedia Metallum guys are very strict. You yeah, know, yeah, I it's,
2: know. It's funny. You gotta
1: just be glad you got in under the wire there. <laughs> yeah. So. So um, and also let's not leave out Vora because yeah. Vora starts around the same time yeah. and the well, first album. I'm sorry, the, the uh, Selenilian yeah, yeah, yeah. Is released in 2012. You, you want to yeah. talk about that?
2: Yeah, so that was another thing where um, uh, I met Josh, the singer, and we just met at a show. we were talking about music, and we had the same sort of like really eclectic tastes and all different kinds of music. We're like pretty much the same age. We, we also grew up kind of like liking all like a lot of the same music and. So we felt a real kinship there, and then he just happened to mention, like, "Yeah, I also am a musician, and I've got this like whole album, basically, or, like most of an album demoed, and I kind of want a guitar player." And again, I was thinking this would be just like another like, kind of session kind of thing, and I was like, "I'll, I'll just be this session guy." <laughs> no. I mean, Three. as long as I like the music, I'll do it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Three albums yeah. later. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, at that time I wasn't, and that's was actually before I joined Sabbath Assembly or did anything with that band. So this is oh, like okay. this is actually 2009 or 10 or something. I don't know. Josh and oh, all right, Laura. Okay, okay. And um, uh, yeah, I wasn't, I was already pretty busy with this rhythmia, and Gorgas was really busy writing at that time. And I was like, I don't know if I really want to join my band, but he's like, well, let me just send you my demo, and you can, you know, I just like to hear your feedback on the songs, if you even like them, no pressure. And so he sent it to me, and, and I was doing, I was like, oh man, this is actually pretty good. I, mean, I might want to do something with, with this guy. And um, so we, yeah, so we started. Work on music together, and then pretty quickly we got uh, Charlie and Toby, the other guys, involved. And uh, yeah, we were really, um, for the first couple of years, we were really writing quickly. And yeah, we put out those two albums like pretty much back to back. And yeah, it's, things have slowed down with that band a little bit now.
1: Well, well, yeah, because you put out, um, so I'm just, I'm hyped that I can pronounce it, uh. yeah, yeah. Okay, in 2012. <laughs> uh. and uh, uh, the word flex, right? The, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, <laughs> the English language flex. Uh, in 2013, uh, The Missing. Uh-huh. And then um, there's a gap of, of about five or six years, and you put out Sables. Yeah, last year. Yeah, uh, yeah and that was a little bit um, of a progression or a departure from the, the sound. Mm. Um, obviously, it was several years there to, to progress. Uh, it seems like you guys went from more of like 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 it's, it started out kind of a, I guess a kind of post black metal so to speak thing like mm. informed by black metal and extreme music but also maybe uh, goth and new wave yeah
2: definitely, definitely and it
1: seems like it's going a little bit more in that electronic goth kind of synth uh, sound yeah new it's way, it's
2: not a metal album at all like the new one the guitars are very sparse mm. it was kind of fun to make a record where like I just played like really minimally. Um, yeah, just, just yeah. very texturally and just kind of sparsely and just you know, just playing a few, just a few notes letting them ring like it's nice to do that sometimes coming from
1: dysrhythmy it's a switch yeah. right I mean yeah, I need,
2: to, you know, I need I, all the projects have to kind of like be different for me to kind of stay interested in them of know? course yeah. Um, yeah yeah it's definitely a departure from the earlier stuff um, and, uh, that was our uh, uh, I remember like that was kind of one of our things we wanted to do even right from the beginning was you know, we—I don't know—just be one of those bands that kind of just go anywhere and, and not be stuck. I mean, we kind of—you know—we had that kind of black metalish with, with some of the blast beats and some of the songs early on. Um, but the reason why the first two records kind of have some similarities is because we kind of wrote all those songs at the, around the same time, and actually half of the missing was recorded while we recorded the first record. So, uh, yeah, so
1: it's like a set, kind of.
2: Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. So anyway, that's that's why there's kind of like those. Those two records are yeah. very kind of like compatible together, and then the, then the third one's so different, you know. Because yeah. the third one's when we kind of were like felt like we were starting fresh. You know,
1: yeah. And that was, that band we should note is with Toby Driver. Yep who people prob- uh, some of our listeners probably know from K.O.Dot, Maudlin of the Well. He's been involved in a lot of projects. He does work, composes music by himself, things like that. Um, go- going back, what's your relationship like with him? Did you know him before, Vora?
2: I did, yeah. We uh, Actually, Maudlin of the Well did a show with this band, um, in Philly, I think in 2002 or oh, something. Wow, that's probably cool. three. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like those. Uh, I think, yeah, the, the they had just put out that double... Double album at the time, Bath and Leaving Your Body Map, and I was really into that. Those records, <clears throat> um, so yes. Yeah, so I just I, I forget how I got in touch with Toby, but yeah, we just kind of set up that show, and I think that was probably the first time I met him, and uh, yeah, we just stayed friends.
1: Yeah, uh, and, very like kind of eclectic musician, prolific. Uh, he's been involved in a lot of things. I just thought that was interesting um, that you guys c- come together on this kind of unexpected project. Uh, and, and so, I mean, we, we we talked about how that period was kind of busy for you between, I guess, 08, 09, 13, um, Sabbath Assembly, Vora pops up. And you're also at that time um, working with Gore Guts yeah. uh, and, and, I guess, writing uh, for Colored Sands. Mm. What what part did you play in the writing process for Colored Sands?
2: um For that album, it was, uh, I wrote one song entirely, or, you know, I wrote kind of the foundation of a song, we put it. The way it works with that band is, like, uh, you know, most of the time Luke kind of writes a song, and uh, when he sends an idea, it's pretty much, like, done. But, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Especially as far as his guitar parts, it's, like, it's all laid out, and, like, even the repetitions don't really change, you know? It's, like... He... So it's really great to work with that, because it's, like, it's not just, like, here's a riff, like, can you yeah. do something? Something
0: you the... can trust, like, trust the vision and just, like, elaborate on it.
2: Yeah, what's mm-hmm. interesting about working with, with Gorguts is, like, I was already a fan, so I feel like I could... Um, I could listen to it and have more of a fan response almost to like the music mm-hmm. he was sending me than than like as, a, as opposed to kind of like something where i'm writing the riff and then i don't like this is cool, i don't know right i mean most of them i know if i like something when i'm writing it but sometimes i don't and then it will take like maybe one of my other bandmates being like oh that's great to like be like okay yeah that's a cool idea mm-hmm. anyway with luke it's 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 great because he just sends a song and then it's like all i have to do is just sort of add my own part over it and, and it's really fun To write guitar parts To his guitar parts mm-hmm. And uh, yes, yeah, so that's basically The way we work But I wrote the song Absconders Colin wrote Forgotten Arrows The rest Luke wrote And then we just sort of Added our own parts On top mm-hmm. Yeah
1: And um, did you guys Like wh- When When was your first Live performance With Gorbats
2: uh, I was in Boston In 2010 We did this short run With uh, Bloody Panda And Portal And Kraus Wow um, Okay Around MDF uh, so we played MDF and then played uh, yeah Boston, Philly, and I can't remember else. New York, the New York show was the best one. So you're
1: uh, so you joined Gore Guts and it's 2010. So that's a few years before Colored Sands released. Mm-hmm. I assume you, you you learned older material.
2: Yeah, to yeah. Play live. I really had to I had to practice a lot to get that stuff down. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, I, it must have been a little nerve wracking, right? Like, oh yeah. You know, being a fan of Gore Guts and coming into it the definitely bowl.
2: felt the weight on my shoulders to <laughs> live up to you know. Uh, Fans' expectations, and, and my own. I didn't want to let anybody down. I let myself down. Yeah. It was tough in the beginning. Yeah, I had a little a bit of stage fright at first, you know. Especially playing the older, like the original of sandy songs. Because it's it, that, that kind of style of guitar playing wasn't uh, intuitive to me. That sort of...
0: Right, you have to, uh, like, relearn technique. or uh, techniques. Or learn techniques.
2: Yeah, it's like the riffs are just um, in these patterns that I just don't... Aren't intuitive to me. So it took a lot right. of practicing, but it was good. It was good to kind of have to... Be a okay. proper death metal guitar
0: player. <laughs> so, I think it just makes you a better guitar player, yeah, all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: yeah. being challenged. Yeah. It has to be kind of interesting too to like uh, join the band with like somebody you already know and they're familiar with their playing style. I, that, like yeah, like, I mean nobody, that was you know you don't really hear like a tag team joining. You know, joining yeah, like, yeah. A uh, Dave Whitty band actually would
2: uh, he was he, I remember he'd always tell me like it reminded to him of when uh, Paul and Sean joined, Cynic uh, during Death, you know. And, sure, yeah. Uh, Chuck kind of took them as like a duo, kind of similar thing, I guess. But yeah, it was de- yeah. definitely. Yeah, happy to have Colin on.
1: definitely made me feel comfortable. Get drafted drafted as a team, like two like mm-hmm. football players that go to high school together yeah. and get drafted to the same
2: yeah.
1: college. <laughs> um
4: uh and it's like the Legion of Doom to
1: WC in yeah. the Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you come as a set. Um yeah. so I mean Disrhythmia had obviously done a fair amount of touring and playing out live before that, but is it fair to say that with Gore Guts you were playing like the, the more like the highest profile shows you had definitely. played to that point?
2: Pretty much, I and mean, Gorgas, I mean, I just we did a couple of like, somewhat, I wouldn't say big tours, but like playing in theaters and stuff. We, we, yeah, more so in the early days when we signed the Relapse at first. Um, but yeah, for sure, Gorgas was playing like yeah, these, especially uh, in Europe, especially like these festivals. Uh, it's just really, like, totally surreal to me. You know? huh, 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 just the size of the crowds, and also just the, the <laughs> other bands we were playing with—all these sort of legendary old school bands that I loved as a kid. you know, Yeah, were right, playing yeah. on the same stage and. Uh, yeah, it's quite surreal. So seas of people. Yeah, and uh, what's funny about playing big shows is I thought I would be more nervous about playing huge festivals. Um, but really, uh, those people, they feel so far away, and like the stage is so big, and um, I don't really look up very much when I play. and I don't know, it's, it's weird playing those big festivals. You, you, you honestly, at least I do, I, I sort of forget that there's anyone even there. I, I'm like really into the music, it's not that I like, you know, it's, Kind of, my eyes are closed, and I—I kind of forget anyone's there. And then if, if you, you, know, if I watch the footage later, you know, I'm like, oh, wow. And I was like, I was like, thank God I didn't notice all those people. Out there. And then sometimes they like, you know, put you on like the, the, the TV, yeah, the you know, and it's like, ah.
1: Now you know why I wear the blackout shades for artificial brain. Yeah. I don't want to see anybody. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's
2: why I have my long hair too.
1: <laughs> um, uh, and and with Gore Guts, I mean, what. What are you know we talk on the podcast a lot about touring and about like the reality of um being in bigger death metal bands and things like that. Like what are some of the takeaways or maybe things that you you learned that you hadn't realized up till that point from touring with Gorguts and mm. being on that level of things? Uh,
2: about about touring? Well, yeah, just about
1: touring, the music industry, uh, um maybe like some of the uh, some of the pressures or the uh, uh, amenities that, that come with touring on that level. You know, it, it's easier in some ways, harder in others.
2: Exactly, yeah. Uh, easier in that the hospitality is always good, again, especially in Europe. Even if you're a small band, the hospitality is usually pretty good in Europe. But um, especially with Gorguts, yeah, it was like, you know, we did a couple of like, tours where we got to share, you know, be on a bus, we, you know, always share it with another band. But that's a nice, like, you know, luxury. Um,
4: Put anything that, weird on your rider that they have to just, you know, Nah. put in there it's just like light bulbs for no reason nah. just, I want Van
0: Halen's brown M&M's yeah
2: <laughs> no we I don't know I don't, I don't even know what's on our rider ride. I'm happy with whatever we get I'm, I'm simple
1: strings yeah <laughs> strings water and please um so alright so you, you know you guys record um colored sands and you know obviously that was kind of a game changer for people Gorguts Guts has a history of doing that now kind of like fading back and, and, and coming back into the game with something mm. totally different you know with Obscura kind of flipped everybody on their head so it's it's not like a long running band that, that had a solid lineup and was releasing an album every two years yeah. it was kind of I guess ex- expected or at least not a surprise that, that Luke comes back with a refreshed lineup and a different sound mm. what do you remember about when that album um, dropped and, and the reception from that like were you obviously you were proud of it but um, what was the feeling like to be on a on a on a published Gore Guts album?
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't. It's funny, I didn't feel like I was really a member of the band until that record came out. You, huh. you know, yeah. um, not that I didn't feel welcome, you know, but it was like I was like finally like now people get to hear my contribution, yeah. the, the creative contribution. and so I feel like I'm more part of the band now. Um, yeah. So yeah, I remember. Yeah, being. I mean, it. it we knew yeah, we were happy with it. it. The funny thing is it came out so much later than when we recorded it. So so I wasn't I probably would have been more excited if it came out like <laughs> the same year we recorded it. When did you but, record uh, it? Uh, well most of the most of the basic well, all the basic tracks and, and some of the solos and stuff were all recorded in two thousand eleven. So all right, there was okay. this gap of like two years where Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was kinda held up in the uh, hostage and legal reasons.
1: Oh, okay. Just and,
2: record label stuff that I didn't have yeah. anything to do with.
1: Yeah, Luke was kinda, I guess, involved in that sort <clears> of <throat> thing. Yeah. yeah, okay. Um uh, so so Colored Sands comes out and also around the same time you're still busy um with dysrhythmia, Sabbath Assembly Vore like we talked about. Uh with Dysrhythmia now, um li- like we said, I kind of noticed maybe on, pardon me, on like Veil of Control. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit more. It almost sounds like more of a black metal kind of dissonance influence uh, creeping in. And you said that Colin is contributing more to the the writing. What effects, or what? Did maybe like I should say, what what do you learn, and what influences do you think seep in from the experience of being in Gore Guts and working with Luke Lemay?
2: Um, I think. Uh, well, like I said maybe a while back, one of the big influences was sort of learning those songs from Obscura and stuff and even the, some of the ones we do from Wisdom the Hate and the Colored Sand songs and seeing this like that Luke writes in this way where it's just, there wasn't a, a lot of parts and it still sounded really interesting and kind of just doing more with less I guess mm-hmm. I, I think that was kind of the influence it wasn't so much like I'm, I'm stealing rest from Luke kind of thing it was <laughs> yeah. more like just like the Structure wise, I think maybe there was some influence or something.
1: Yeah, not not to imply that there was anything yeah. derivative, but you know, you mm-hmm. are, you reflect who you hang out with. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, yeah. you know, there's a, a natural kind of osmosis that goes yeah. on.
2: And we um, like a lot of the same music, you know, Luke, Luke and I and stuff. So.
1: Yeah. Similar um,
2: influences here and there.
1: So, so, we're you know, we're talking about um, all, these, all these bands you're in, but let's not forget also that you're a very prolific solo artist. Um, and in, in doing the research, you know, obviously I, I did not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I listened to every one of your a solo of releases uh, from beginning to end. It's a little uh, daunting, but I yeah. did, I, you know, I did listen to quite a few of them and sample a lot of them. And uh, I got to say, I'm a big fan of Messages to the Past. Uh, right, I got it right, right? Yep. Okay, and... Um, First of all, who, who did the cover artwork for that? Because it's got really incredible cover art that's kind of reminiscent of maybe, like, 70s prog rock yeah. and things like that.
2: That's a guy named Brian Olson. Um, mm. You can find him on Instagram. and I think he's got a .com site. Um, how did I come across him? Um, I think I just Googled sci-fi artwork or something. Huh,
1: there you go. Uh, and there. somehow
2: I came across him. And uh, I was like, this guy's stuff looks cool. He's a collage artist. So what he actually does is he takes... Think from magazines and stuff, like all these different pieces of different things, and kind of collages them together. I don't know how he does it, but um,
1: I gotta re—I gotta take another look at that. that yeah, was, his stuff is
2: really cool. And, yeah, it, uh, I,
1: I saw the—I think the vinyl version in Colin's studio. Uh, it was captivating.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, so happy when I came across him because, like, finally, I, I was—I knew for that record, I really wanted something um, that really fit the atmosphere of the. Movie. I mean, I always want something that fits the atmosphere. Of the yeah, of course. But I think that's—you that, know—for some of my other solo records, I would just kind of like, I'd take. Take a picture or something, and ask the cover. It. And this time, I was like, "No, I want like some really captivating original artwork." Um, right. I and think I it, want someone yeah. else to do it. I don't want to do it myself.
1: Brings yeah. me back to like Yes and Kansas and those bands that would have mm-hmm. like really interesting artwork on the you know to, to yeah, kind own like cover. Right. yeah, kind
2: of like mystical landscape. Yeah, yeah,
1: like a dream kind of um, yeah. Totally. Thing. Uh, but I mean, talking about the music, the the reason why I think that album sticks out to me a lot is because it's so metal. Yeah. For an album that doesn't have any vocals or drums, it's right. it's just guitar, bass, but it's extremely metal. What maybe you could speak to like the influences or, or, right. or going on in your head? Like, what were you um, trying to express on that album? And what were some of the influences?
2: That that album kind of is me kind of going back to a lot of my earlier influences and um, even ones that I guess I liked a lot as a kid, but maybe wouldn't listen to that much anymore. Um, like I felt like back in the day, like I, I you know I liked guitar players like Steve I and Joe Satriani and these these typical you know, guitar hero types of the time, yeah. back when mm-hmm. I was really young. Well, it's not to like the mm-hmm. Satch. Yeah. yeah, but you know, literally with their records, even as a kid, I was like I always liked the one or two tracks that were kind of like dark because they, they always had like one or two songs that were sort of like mm-hmm. just more dark than the rest of the album. The rest of the album would be kind of like upbeat and kind of like bright sounding yeah Yeah. but then it would be like these sort of like the the moodier songs um i was like man it would be cool to make a like a like a record that's like that vibe you know so it's kind of me doing my version of of that um in a way but also you know i think another influence actually was um i was listening to a lot of isolated guitar tracks on youtube um all right. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you could look up like old Ozzy songs, like, you know, with Randy Rhodes mm-hmm. and just listen to just only the Randy Rhodes guitars. So just yeah. the layers of, of Randy Rhodes, like, oh. without everything else removed. I never even thought to Google that. Yeah, like, and I was, I I was the isolated I, vocals, yeah, we, like, I don't know. The mic stuff mic might get taken down. <laughs> 65, you know,
3: the I, <laughs>
1: idea of, of just isolated Randy Rhodes guitar tracks influencing that album makes so much sense, though. Right? Because I started listening to that album and after a few minutes it was almost like i forgot there wasn't a percussive element because well, it was it, it was like it was just like it was having the same effect as as another you know a standard metal album would on me like it was that metal enough with just the guitars is what i'm trying to say
2: well, that's great to hear i mean that, that was kind of my goal i thought it'd be interesting to make a record like that with with no drums
1: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, really yeah. interesting music man and um you know i pass it along to some people i know who maybe aren't as extreme metal centric mm. it's, as it's I really am, melodic you know? it's not
2: too to me it's not too extreme or anything it, well you
1: know i have a soft spot we've talked before about it for like fate's warning queen's right oh, yeah. that sort of yeah. thing man and it, i feel like it hits a lot of those Fate's nerves. Warning a
2: huge influence on my guitar playing. Actually.
1: yeah yeah great band yeah. great band um what, what is like while we're on what's your relationship with, with prog like you know we talk about Yes uh-huh. and those type of bands from the uh-huh. 70s that that type of thing are you into that sort of thing or? yeah
2: yeah um some of you know, like I love Rush you know and Rush rest, rest you know? in peace Neil. exactly mm-hmm.
3: um, yeah
2: I mean actually they were kind of the fav- my favorite of all those bands even though they were probably the most poppy and popular on the radio and so um but I guess I was a little bit more of a prog metal guy than a prog rock guy um even King Crimson, who I I really appreciate, but I I uh, I'm, I'm still struggling to fully connect with that band. Um, which a lot of people one find song s- at a time, with that, and then they <laughs> begin to lose. Like, um, I don't know what it is. I, there's years, so like, many things <laughs> about them that I, I like, and of course, Fripp as a as a guitar player is just like <clears> a pioneer, just <laughs> like the first <laughs> to do so many different things. Yeah, I have so much. Love in one band. So I
0: like,
2: I mean, they're all like. It's crazy, but like for some reason, um, when I was getting into all those other bands when I was young, even though Crimson is kind of darker than a lot of those bands, I, I, I don't understand why I wasn't as grabbed by them back when I was discovering all these bands. And so I still, they're one of those bands I, there's something there, because I keep going back to it, and I'm like, one of these days it's going to fully click. Yeah. And it, it has, like I'm starting to like gel with certain records now, but uh, it's been more of a slow process for some reason.
3: I, I feel like
1: Rush is more adjacent to Gorguts with the lyrical content, the kind of like mythology and the, you know ancient mm. history type yeah, of thing. You know, dirty. yeah, <laughs> kind of kind of a congruency there, man. Uh. I mean, well, I, speaking of that, um, can you tell me how to pronounce uh, the 2016 Gorguts album properly? Uh,
2: Palladies dust. Pala- that's
1: what I would have said. Yeah. All right, I was testing you. Uh. Palladies We're dust. The
0: uh. <laughs> well, I, I remember when we talked to Colin. It's a struggle. Yeah, know? yeah. He, he yeah. corrected us then too. Yes. I think I said it last. So. Good, yeah.
1: uh, I, took the hit. I took the hit tonight. Um, <laughs> can you take us into Just maxing out on the bench lyrically? Yeah, there you go. Can, can you take us into uh, the the writing <laughs> yes. process uh, up up to that that recording that album? Like, was mm. it, I mean, how do you go about um, uh, writing and rehearsing a piece of music like that?
2: We did it in uh, pieces. Uh, I remember Luke wrote the first you know, it's, it's like a half hour long piece he wrote the first 20 minutes um, first so that's what he sent us initially was like the uh, that much of the, of the album uh, basically up until there's kind of like the drone the ambient section and then the, kind of the doom riff starts after that so like starting from the doom riff was kind of the last piece that Luke wrote so uh, yeah so we just worked with the first 20 minutes first and um, I think him and Patrice kind of worked on it. Patrice had now joined the band as the drummer, Yeah, and the two of them are like close to each other up in Canada, and uh, I think they were working together, just the two of them. And then Luke would send us some demos of that, and then Colin and I would kind of write some our parts at home over their uh, rehearsal demos yeah and then we all got together Collins so and then I think we did a demo ver- there's probably demo versions of all this stuff like s- still sitting on Collins hard drives I have mm-hmm. no idea what they sound like but I know they're out there um,
1: allegedly all yeah. hackers
2: <laughs> and then um yeah so then we had that much down and then um and then we kind of did I think Luke didn't know exactly where to go after that um so there was kind of like a little bit of a lull and then but not too too much of a lull and then and then he like sent the last 10 minutes and we were like you know awesome you know?
1: Was there like was there an initial like 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 whoa twenty minute song you know like like you sure you don't want to break this up or something?
2: Uh, no, I think we all kind of talked. He had been talking about that for a while, wanting to do just like
3: mm-hmm. a EP. big piece of music. Yeah,
2: one long song EP kind of thing. So we were all down for
3: that.
1: Uh, and we know from when we talked to Colin that that Luke is focusing on other pursuits right now. There's mm-hmm. not really there wasn't at the time we talked to Colin any plans for new Gore Guts or anything. I don't know if you mm-hmm. could speak to that if anything's changed.
2: Um, well, all I can say is really there's no news.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
2: All I can say is Luke says he wants to make another record. Um, we're just kind of waiting for him to send us yeah.
1: something. Well, you can't rush um, greatness. No, mm.
2: and, and we're you know, yeah. we're just being, being patient.
1: Just uh, check your MySpace. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, check your. Never know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's still trying to message you on MySpace. <laughs> nice. It's still pretty big in Canada. Yeah. I think.
3: yeah.
1: Um, well,. Let's talk about, in 2019, Dysrhythmia puts out uh, your latest album, Terminal Thresholds. Mm. I feel, uh, like I, like my personal opinion, I would say it's like your most metal album, your most kind of like chunky, yeah, uh, you know, aggressive thing. Like, like you were going towards a more um, dissonant, like I said, dark direction with the yeah. two albums prior to that, but Terminal Thresholds is pretty metal. Yeah. Is, is there, is there I, I mean, there was about four or five years between... Messages to the Past and Terminal Thresholds, but those albums are so metal. Is there any connection there? Uh, or
2: Kind of. Some people have, have said that they kind of hear... Okay. They hear some of that Messages to the Past influence on Terminal Thresholds. Which I, I can see that because uh, Terminal Threshold has, like, guitar solos on it. Not too many, but a few. And there's, like, harmonies and stuff. And I don't usually do that on this rhythmic stuff, and I felt more inspired yeah. to do that this time. Plus, um, you know, Colin's playing guitar instead of bass on a couple of the songs, and a lot of times he's doing harmonies with me and stuff. And uh, that all kind of gives it more of this, a little bit more of, like, a older metal kind of sound. Like old school. You said yeah. you
0: said instead uh, instead of bass, yeah. or is he doing double duty.
2: No, so he's... Uh, some of the songs is just two guitars and drums uh, instead of instead of bass. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. which is something we've never done before until you know, yeah. this record. And uh, yeah, we like the way it's sounded. I, mean, uh, I love, yeah, him playing guitar too instead of bass. It sounds it sounds fine. He's a great
1: player. Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple more questions before we wind down about um, dysrhythmia. Um, uh, playing uh, for so long um, in a band that has had no vocalist, an instrumental band. Have you ever been? Uh, have you ever played shows or been on lineups? Or been in front of a crowd that just didn't get it? You know, for some reason, it didn't go over because of that reason.
2: Yeah, um, I remember when we were touring with uh, well, a couple. A couple of the times we toured with like relapse bands, um, we had some hecklers in the crowd. Uh, I mean, one of the most extreme ones was this. Guy. <laughs> we're touring with High and Fire, and there was this. Um, it was in Arizona, and we were we we're playing, and there was this guy like all the way front and center of the stage but with his back to us not like looking at us and yeah, uh that hurt, yeah. yeah and he was just wait he was just waving his hands at the, at the crowd like like move back or like go away or like get out of here kind of like that kind of motion and, and we're playing and I'm like what is this guy doing is he a bouncer or something like is there a fight in the crowd you know and, and we finish like I think it was after our first or second song and he just like we stop and I'm like tuning for a second and he just like shouts he's like to the crowd. He's like, everybody, go home now. These guys are horrible. Like, he <laughs> said so something like that. And I was like, who the fuck is
1: this guy? <laughs> Oh, my God. I, uh, I
2: talked to him afterwards. I was like, what's up? Why'd you do that? You know? And he, he was just kind of like, oh, it was fun, Troll. Yeah,
4: oh, he was a troll. Yeah, yeah. Just like yeah. Yeah, I don't have no words inside my head. And I kind of, I kind of have more words. respect
2: for for like an in person troll than an online troll. Yeah, yeah, well, trolls have been oh, around yeah. forever.
1: Yeah. That the internet just gave them an easy way out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. stand. You could troll from home. Yeah. Um, all right, so we were we were talking about uh, I think um, ter- Terminal Threshold, yeah. uh, the the latest yeah. dysrhythmia album, um, and just for the listeners too, if you are like on the East Coast, I punched it up. Uh, obviously, at St. Vitus on February 14th, Valentine's Day, you guys are playing with Artificial Brain, uh, Shameless Plug. Who's that? And Blood Incantation. Uh, ben, band, band death metal fans may have heard about last year. Uh, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't, that new album's out if you haven't heard about that new Blood <laughs> Incantation album. Uh, and, and March 26th at the Metro Gallery in Baltimore. Uh, and March 28th at Milk Boy in Philly. Yep. Right? Love that name, Milk Boy. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's yeah, the, full
4: cream in Philly.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like a, it's like a kind of like kind of like a joke we had with the Blood Incantation guys, and it became a venue. I love that. <laughs> um, but so that that's dysrhythmia coming up. Uh, is, are you guys working on any new material? Anything? I, I know sometimes you take a little time. Yeah,
2: it not yet. I literally need uh, at least six months or something after the record comes out to kind of just we just kind of focus on just playing the shows mm-hmm. and playing the new mm-hmm. record. Um, it always is a it's always uh, hard to get started um, on. Um, uh, a new album with that band for me. Was, yeah. Um, just because I, I feel a lot of uh, it, just when your band is put out now, I don't know, what's this uh, going on the ninth record, I guess, now. So yeah, it just gets a little bit tougher as you go on to keep. Um, I feel like we always keep, hopefully, like, succeeding, um, like with kind of surprising ourselves with every record and hopefully not repeating things we've already done. Um, but yeah, it always feels like a challenge every time. So have uh, I haven't, haven't, haven't uh, stepped into those shoes yet. Uh, but we uh, we have we've have talked about um, trying some things we've never done before, like maybe making the next thing um, like a really studio based record, um, and and kind of just go crazy with like overdubbing and just making something like we, that we're not even going to worry about being able to pull off live, <laughs> uh, which would be, be so yeah. different than because usually our records are written like they're very live oriented. You know, it's um, mm-hmm. it's kind of music meant to be played live. But we thought it might be interesting to do something. Maybe it will just be an EP or something, but something where more of a studio-based kind of thing. We get to really have fun with the player and mm-hmm. overdubbing and, 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 yeah, and maybe, like, yeah, just experimenting. I don't know. Just making something more abstract. Different instruments on there. And, we, and, you know, being that we just did a pretty metal-ish record, I, I yeah, you know, my, my thing is always usually to want to do something pretty different the next time, so I, I don't think the next record will be, like, super metal-y like this last one was. You know? mm-hmm. um, so those are just ideas, but no, no music yet.
0: Right. Well, I mean, yeah, Get started with those thoughts. As soon uh, yeah, as I like coming
2: up with cons. I, uh, I don't know. I used to always just kind of let things happen and not really think about a concept or direction. And mm-hmm. sometimes I still do that. But more so lately, in more recent years, I, I like kind of thinking of a concept first for a record. Like mm-hmm. this one's going to be like this, you know? And, and then that kind of helps mm-hmm. me get. Uh, it's kind of what we were talking about before about making like a soundtrack to a film. It's like uh, mm-hmm. I'm not looking at anything, but I have like a concept that I can write down and look at a piece of paper on and be like all right this is a direction and okay. i don't have any music but it's a direction to follow it's like yeah being directed by somebody that right make something like this or go in this direction I, that kind of helps me get started and it might totally mm-hmm. change it helps me get started but then i might do like write usually a lot of times with this movie i always throw out the first song i write yeah like they'll help me get started and i'll write something and i'm like it's okay but it won't really be like the best yeah it's you know? kinda like kind a of a burner
0: song like getting into
2: yeah the, it's just kind of the groove. Yeah, exactly. yeah. That's cool. Well, that, con-
4: yeah, that concept thing too is kind of a uh, maybe uh, adjacent to the um, uh, maturity of songwriting as well. You know what I mean? Where uh, you're thinking more about the bigger picture, than yeah, sort of like totally. Part by part.
2: And as you play with the same people longer and longer over the years, you, you kind of know like what they're going to add to the sound. And I, that's a, I think that's a, I haven't touched on that, but that's probably mm-hmm. another reason why I think maybe distributed Music's change over the years is I feel like when I'm writing a song, when I was writing songs in the past. Um, I was always, like, trying to keep myself really interested and entertained as I was writing a song. Like, this riff gotta go somewhere else next, you know? I wasn't thinking about, like, what my bandmates were gonna add to this Mm -hmm. thing I was writing. And and now I do, you know? And and that's the thing, is, like, usually I can repeat the same riff or something eight or ten times, and Not be bored because Colin and Jeff are building some really interesting thing in the rhythm section. On top of that,
0: right? Like playing, gaining like trust over time. Not that you don't trust these people, but like their tastes.
2: Right, and they they still surprise me every time. But uh, yeah, just kind of knowing that it's okay for me to play something maybe more numbers of times than I would have in the past because they're Mm. because I'm not you know now I'm thinking about what they're gonna add. Totally. And usually Colin's always playing something totally different than I'm playing, and Mm. so yeah, keeps. Keeps it fresh. Keeps it fresh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, and are, is there anything else coming up from any of your other bands and projects that people should be looking out for in 2020?
2: Nothing this year. I think all of the bands are just kind of slowly getting back into the groove of trying to work on new stuff. I mean, Sabbath Assembly kind of has a bunch of songs actually already written and demoed and stuff, so I don't think we'll put anything out this year, but we have, mm-hmm. that band has kind of a direction and some stuff started, but um, none of the other bands yet.
1: All right. Um and, you know, we we want to, as we said, we always say, we want to be respectful of your time. And you were kind enough to invite us out here to your apartment tonight. So um, we we didn't even get into really talking um, about teaching guitar and some other things. But uh, maybe that would leave us open for a part two sometime when you have some new music to uh, to promote sure. or, or something of Anytime. that nature. Um, uh, but before we get into the recommendations, uh, another thing that we didn't really get to explore with you and we wouldn't want to rush is I know you're a fan of uh, film in different uh, degrees, different mm. ways. Um, I know you, I've heard you talk in other interviews about uh, kind of like Bihar movies yeah, and, uh, things like that and, and, and art films. Maybe just to give us like a taste of that, I was going to ask if you could uh, recommend a few movies based on different criteria. Uh, if you could maybe just recommend us a movie based on uh, the soundtrack.
2: On the soundtrack. Um, or... Um...
1: Not to put you on the
0: spot. Well, one thing that comes
2: mm-hmm. to mind right away is actually the movie Eraserhead. Eraserhead. Uh, yeah, because yeah, uh, there actually is a sou- a soundtrack for that album, um, which I have on the CD. But uh, you know, the the soundtrack is very abstract. It's kind of just, and it's like ambient noise. It's kind of um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I used to think of it as like one of the one of the earliest examples of like industrial, like true injust- industrial ambient kind of experimental music because right. that came out in 76 or something mm-hmm. wow and uh yeah the, the the sound i mean the the way sound and music is used in that film is so subtle i mean you know it's there but you almost forget that it's there and a lot of it's just kind of low rumbling and stuff and then there's a really eerie sort of like uh, i think like scott joplin like piano like ragtime piano right pieces that kind of um are in, in the movie here and there and, but they're like really reverbed out and like buried in the mix and,
0: uh, yeah and there's that like one stage piece right the, in heaven um, yeah, yeah. Um, which is um, that film is haunting in a lot of ways yeah it's and, one of my
2: favorite uh, films
0: yeah David Lynch really pays attention to sound yeah uh, throughout his stuff um, what I'm, I'm drawing a like oh never mind I was going to get more into David
2: Lynch but um, yeah like it, Twin it, a soundtrack. lot of I mean yeah I mean a lot of his <laughs> all his movies have good soundtracks I um, okay. But yeah who else Well, I mean I'm going to remember like after you guys leave
1: but well it's funny what you just said reminded me of the movie Legend uh, with Tom Cruise from mm-hmm. the 80s and how there was there's two versions of it there's a version with the score by Tangerine Dream yeah. the synth group the mm-hmm. uh, early synth group and I guess there's another version with I guess maybe what was considered more like commercially palatable yeah. uh, background music but um, the Tangerine Dream Square makes a whole different viewing experience. Yeah, man, the
2: soundtrack is so important. Just, yeah. Just like yeah. an album cover is for an album or something. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, you can still enjoy an album if has a horrible album cover, but it, it adds
1: it a lot really, if it's a great album. Right, cover. yeah. Adds, yeah. 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 Um, well, okay, mo- uh, moving on. What about a movie that you would recommend just simply for its kind of like absurd B-movie quality?
2: Um, well, I talked about him recently in another interview, but uh, uh, this director named Neil Breen. Yes, yeah. 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 Uh, he's got a, in particular, his movie called Faithful Findings. I mean, look it up. <laughs> okay. It's so absurd. I what mean, it's... It? Um, all his stuff, all his... He has a bunch of movies, and they're all kind of the same, actually. But that one's the best of them all, I think. But it, it's just they're very, like, um, conspiracy theory, like, driven. And he always plays some sort of, like, mad computer hacker, <laughs> um, you know, anti-government. Or something, and, um, hmm. but you know, it's like he 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 he's, uh, he stars and directs and writes. Like, he does everything, kind of like Tommy was did for The Room, I guess. You know. And, um, um, what year is that? Uh, that one was from maybe like, I don't know mid to, mid two thousand tens or something. Um, it's kind of hard to find his stuff. He take like every time someone puts it on YouTube, he he, he or somebody who his manager. I'm, it always comes down pretty quickly. <laughs> you can probably find some clips or anything, but it's hard to find. You have to kind of order the the, Just order
3: the, the, the DVDs, DVDs directly. Yeah. And Colin
2: has them, actually. He, he, he's ordered a couple of them for him. Nice. Yeah. So check out his stuff. I mean, it's, I think you'll, you'll, you'll find it amazing. Yeah.
0: I that name. I feel I'm have
2: to he's a quirky guy. I mean, he, his, his movies. He, you know, I've watched a couple of interviews with him, and he—he's uh, really serious. He seems really serious about them. Like it's not like a joke, you know. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
1: and yeah, uh, yeah. just just for the listeners too, I do have to reference and give credit to the Rock and Roll Beer Guy. Uh, that was the podcast I believe you mm-hmm. were on a few months back, mm-hmm. uh, and I did listen to that in research for this show. And you do talk about uh, your taste in movies a lot more on that podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so just one more. Uh, what is a movie you'd recommend based just on like artistic achievement, emotional engagement, like a, a, a like a kind of a good, engaging movie, well done piece of cinema?
2: Oh man, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to edit out the long silences. <laughs> we can oh, do that's that. Fine. that was easy. Um, I just do that
0: visually, man. <laughs> 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 we won't remember. Look what? for transients.
2: Yeah, yeah. what it. Um, my memory is like so horrible these days. I feel like I've seen a lot of great movies this year, and then I might forget them.
0: Did you see Parasite? I, well, dude, just yeah. for my
2: mind, oh, I just saw no. Parasite. Oh, yeah, was yeah Parasite was great. I saw it in the theater. I like that one a lot. Um, yeah, what else did I see this year? That was really good. Um, oh, uh, Heritage—is that what it's called? hereditary hereditary no oh. not no no not hereditary but it was the one directed by the oh mid-summer. oh midsummer oh wait no was it wasn't huh. <laughs> <laughs> ah i know it wasn't the guy who did hereditary it was a uh, man it was uh, somehow related to hereditary but it wasn't
4: it's the a24 studio maybe um it
2: or was fi- this like, it was filmed in like australia and new zealand or something god i can't remember um,
4: what's about be it, yeah. what's about talk about. that
2: um, it's yeah. It was in Australia. I believe it takes place in Australia. It was about um, sort of the takeover, you know, um, like the English coming in and like taking over colonialism and stuff like um, taking away the land and It like, Sounds hunting interesting. Hunting them and stuff. And, you know, it was pretty intense. Um, it's always a um, rough, you know. Yeah. yeah. It really captures like the
0: negative negative sides of history very well it's, it's hard to in.
2: yeah and i that also got me thinking about this um it's on netflix now like that documentary don't fuck with cats and yeah it. man i just yeah.
4: actually finished that uh, last night
2: yeah uh, just, like, yeah a i mean I'm a, I'm a huge play. cat lover so <laughs> i didn't know if i really wanted to watch that and i it, what's strange is i don't remember that i don't remember when that happened yeah i don't remember
4: hearing about it at all but like what a what a trip that those like Facebook obsessed people yeah. take you on like yeah. the whole thing. Uh, it's a crazy story. Yeah, I mean, Definitely. I found it
2: pretty engaging. You know, yeah, but oh, horrifying. But. It
4: was well done. I mean, yeah. as yeah. a documentary
2: for yeah. sure. So I, I like a lot of documentaries. Those are probably my favorite types of films that I didn't watch. I gotta look up
0: this cat movie and see what this is all about. Yeah, don't fuck
2: with cats. Yeah. yeah.
0: I I um I had just seen a YouTube uh, maybe it was Justin Wang maybe he did a video on it. Because uh, because I don't know I'm I'm like. Like you guys, like oh. I don't like, remember, remember the names. history yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like I mean, well, the history of the internet, like that's yeah. not really my bag. I'm not on four chan I don't read it. Mm. So like every now and then I'll be on YouTube and something pops up in the algorithm. I have to click it, and yeah. I remember seeing that story. Uh. So I'm glad they kind of made a documentary out of it. Mm.
4: So many people were involved in it. It's nuts. It's, cra- um, it's crazy. How, yeah, it, it, it takes a lot of turns. Yeah. Was the movie you were talking about The Nightingale?
2: That's what I was talking about. Oh, yes. Okay, I have yes. to see that. That, that yeah. seems
1: very interesting. Okay. Yeah, The Nightingale. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, nice flex, Google. <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, Kev, you know, we don't want to be, um, we don't want to overstay our welcome. We don't want to be those type of guests that you're always trying to kick out. Nah. Uh, we're not disrespectful not of time days, over here. A few days after Thanksgiving, there's, no there's, there's still Uncle on the Couch. Uh, uh, Uncle Buck's on the Couch. <laughs> <laughs> um... Waiting for the leftovers, uh, so so we talked a little bit about movies. I just want to do that. Uh, if you've heard the show before, you know we always ask you to recommend one classic music release and one newer, more modern music release of any genre, any artist, and you know for uh, the listeners.
2: Okay, um, I guess for a classic release, I really like this record by this guitar player named Sonny Chirac called "Ask the Ages." It's one of my favorite like jazz jazz records. Um, it's not very traditional jazz. Like he play, he's, he's, Sonny is, he's rock as a guitar player, and his guitar tone is like pretty soaring and biting, kind of like has like a nice bit of distortion on it. But um, it's a beautiful record. Um, that's one of my all-time favorites. Um, for a newer record, um, well, it's a record I've been really into lately. That's not like new, but new to me. Um, the album "Fractal Possession" by Abigail.
1: Wow! Um, wow! Yeah! 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 Yeah. I kind
2: of only just recently check that record out and i've kind of been listening
1: to that a lot mm. intense interesting band
2: yeah uh, i don't really yeah i'm kind of just i've seen the name forever so I, but I, i've only just recently been checking really investigating their discography and that one particular record kind of i'm it's in the same me. boat their, their
1: discography is kind of um uncharted territory yeah. for me yeah. but the artificial brain guys turned me on to uh Abigor, uh, uh, there was um uh uh a lot of bands that those guys have turned me on to over the years but that's one band in particular that always stood out and it's like when your friends play you an Abigore album yeah. in, in the car and then you go back on your own to research it you're like where do I start like yeah. what album was that even that I you know like it, it's yeah. kind of crazy you know they're, yeah, they're a wild band stuff <laughs> is yeah. that what we're doing yeah. in the car yeah we're gonna have, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're... so
4: close to a to a death metal fishing reference it's called Albagor
1: Alba- yeah. Alba- Alba- Albacore, yeah the albacore is, is fishing-related death the, metal. That's the core. Well, it's
0: albagore, yeah, but we got
4: there.
1: Uh, that's, the, that's the gore grind band. Man. We'll do a, sp- Exactly. We'll do a,
4: Justin, we're going to do a split. We'll talk about it in the car ride home. The okay? lines are so long, they go so deep yeah. into the <laughs> deepest holes of the ocean. It's um, the big rifts are. And, oh, and
1: speaking of big rifts and going deep, uh, tonight we went on a deep dive through the world of uh, Kevin Huffnagel, Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks,
2: guys. Thanks for coming. Thank on. you,
1: man. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having us uh, in, in your home. I, you know, we we like when we can do these field trip ones and get out of the basement, man. It's yeah. good we get air, we get fresh air, we get sunlight. <laughs> That's it's true. Nice. Yes. Uh, and Ken, to make friends, you know. <laughs> uh, like we said, dysrhythmia playing a few shows coming up uh, through a February, March uh, regionally. Um, Look up Kevin and all of his bands, and if if you're familiar with some of his bands, but you're not familiar with some of his solo work, we encourage you to do that. He's got a a vast band camp with a wealth of music. Um, And just uh, another thing, you know, we didn't get to talk like we said, but you've recorded several Halloween EPs Uh where you cover music uh, from movies like uh, Fright Night, The Hitchhiker... Um, Tales from the Dark Side, Phantasm, right? I got yeah. all that right? Yep. Uh, so that's also highly recommended. You know, we are kind of a horror movie adjacent podcast. We mm-hmm. reference that a lot. And maybe we can talk talk to, about <laughs> that sort of thing with you in the future. Sure. Um, but that's also highly recommended for the listeners. So Kevin Huffnagel from us at the Heavy Hole Podcast, thank you very much all for
2: right, Thanks, time. guys. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks,
0: yeah, guys. Thanks. Good and, <laughs> uh, yeah, hit us up on the social medias, whatnot. We got all that stuff. Heavyhole podcast at gmail.com. We got the Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to leave a voicemail, that's at 631
4: 837 3274. I it, remember
0: it now, too. Your computer
1: is not even in this building. What was that number again, Tom? 631 837 3274. Amazing. And uh,
4: just real quick, Kevin, landlines
1: only. Do, do you have anything to plug or a uh, uh, contact um, if, if people are interested in lessons, if people are interested in anything like that? Yeah,
2: I have a Kevin stuffnagel.com site. Um, and uh, there's a, you can go on there uh, if you're interested in lessons. There's a, a page, you know, where, with contact info or it's just guitar lessons. Okay. Is it cool. guitarlessonskevin.com? Or no. guitarlessonskevin at Gmail.
1: It, it's it's Google, oh, yeah. man. It's I, to, I just, just Google me. I just told you I just told you guys all, all about <laughs> a bunch of stuff. All the, night, the nightingale I looked up. Just Google <laughs> Kevin, go, right? Just go, Google Kevin. Just, all right? Google Kevin. Just Kevin. Yeah, yeah. Any <laughs> Kevin will do. No. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Hoffnagel, thanks again. Good night, everybody. Thanks. All right one. Well.